Let's uh, turn in our Bibles this morning to Revelation chapter 16. We're going to be looking at just the first seven verses. I titled this morning's message, The Seven Bowls of God's Wrath, Part 1. Because we're going to break this chapter down. All of chapter 16 of Revelation uh, is speaking of the coming bowl judgments. Uh, during the tribulation period. I started, or actually the last time I should say that I was in the book of Revelation. I've been in the seven letters to the seven churches on another occasion, but the last time that I taught the book of Revelation all the way through chapter by chapter was back in 2013 when we as a church were meeting in the high school. And when we started the book of Revelation, uh, this time around, I had a, quite a few of you raise your hand. How many of you had ever been taught the book of Revelation? There's quite a few of, that hadn't ever really been taught the book of Revelation. But I think it's an important book for us to know. We need to understand the days that we're living in. We understand need to understand the things that are going to come upon this earth. And I believe that that day is drawing closer and closer. We're seeing things going on around us right now that are all the signs that we need to be as a church ready and watching and looking up. We need to be. I, as I look at our world and I see the nation of Israel today, I see that and this is scriptural, but that the whole world is going to turn an evil eye against the nation of Israel. And they are. They are a nation that is fighting continually for their security as a nation. But God's hand is upon them. God is with Israel. God is with his people. And anti-Semitism is on the rise in our world today like no other time in history. We're seeing, even through this world pandemic that has really affected the whole world, incurable diseases is one of the signs of the end times. And we're seeing that. All you need to do is, if, if you really care to bore yourself, is to go onto the CDC website and look at all the various things that are going on in our world today. Incurable diseases. In a world that we live in. Lawlessness. Anybody seeing lawlessness in our world today? If you don't, you're not watching anything. You're not seeing anything. But lawlessness is before us. Increasing wars are around us. The threat of nuclear. I mean, I can't turn on my computer without seeing a pop-up on there about where are you going to be when the nuclear blast hits. Are you seeing that? I mean, we're at a time right now where even people that don't know Christ are really getting up in arms over the whole issue of nuclear arms. The threat of nuclear war. The Ezekiel 38 and 39, that alignment of those Magog alliance that you can read in those 
two prophetic chapters about these nations that are going to gather together in the last days for a war that we call the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war. You can read about that if you haven't already. Globalization in our world. We're moving towards this one world government, one world economic system. I just was reading and, and, and listening to something yesterday about this new uh, joining arms between Russia and China and how they see the biggest threat to what their ideology is is the United States. They would love to be able to come together on their, under their own economic system and really get rid of the U.S. dollar or at least diminish us in that way. And so we have this globalized world that is linked together in so many aspects like we've never seen before. The technology that's out there today, the technological advancements that we see that make all of the things that we read about, even in uh, the book of Revelation, in regards to the mark of the beast and the various things, it makes it become very real to us that these things are very much, they're ready to go. Things are increasing. Earthquakes are increasing. Wars are increasing. And you see, these are just the birth pains. These are the things that are going to increase as a woman's birth pains get closer and closer together. We're seeing that in our world today. And as Christians, we should have our eyes open. We should be aware of what's going on around us. But as a pastor, as a pastor to this church, and every pastor would, should feel at least this way, that we're called to be a watchman on the wall. We're called as pastors to tell the people in our churches the truth of God's word without compromise. Do you all want me to do that? Do you want me to stand up here and teach the word of God without compromise? Even the hard things, the ugly things, the things that are difficult. I'm called to warn this church as a pastor. That's the calling upon my life. And you're the church. At least you're the church that God has brought into my path. But I'm also called to exhort you. I'm called to encourage you. I'm called to give you hope. And all of those things are found in the word of God. I'm called to call you to repentance. There's times that we need to repent as individual Christians. There's times that we need to repent as a whole church. There's times that we need to repent as a whole nation. And I'd say that that is the days that we're in. We need to repent. Be people that are quick to repent. And know that we have a God that wants to forgive. He wants to restore. He wants to put us right with him. And that happens by way of repentance. I'm called as a pastor to give you invitations 
for those that don't know Christ to receive Christ. And I'm called to challenge the faith of those in this church that maybe are struggling in their walks and in their faith. That's the calling upon my life. And I, I seek to do that when I stand up here. If you could, turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. I want to give you a quick, short outline. Something I can break down actually into four parts. If you want to know the whole timeline for the seven-year tribulation period, I can give you the highlights of that in Matthew chapter 24. Remember that Jesus, on one particular day, he sat down with his disciples on the Mount of Olives. He talked about uh, the temple being torn down and the walls being torn down stone by stone. It alarmed the disciples that Jesus would say this. And we know that it, that came to pass just as Jesus predicted in 70 AD when Titus came in with his army and took the temple apart stone by stone tore down the walls, and every Jew was dispersed over the whole world today. They were dispersed from their land. But the disciples on that day, they came to Jesus privately. I'm reading from verse 3 of chapter 24. The disciples came to Jesus privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Two questions they were concerned about. The sign of your coming. The end of the age. When will those things be? Was their question. Jesus answers their question in verse 4 to 14. But what you could mark in your Bible, if you don't already have it marked this way, is from verse 4 to 14 is really the beginning of the seven-year tribulation period. It really goes in chronological order as you go through this chapter. So verses 4 to 14, Jesus answers and says to his disciples, he says, take heed that no one deceives you. That's the first thing that he says to them. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. So deception is the first thing that Jesus warns. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all of these things must come to pass. But Jesus says, but the end is not yet. Now keep in mind that Jesus here is telling his disciples what it will be like before his second coming. Not the rapture of the church, but the second coming of Jesus Christ, which will happen at the end of the tribulation period. He says, but the end of is not yet. Verse 7. For nation, this is what will transpire, Jesus says, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilence. There it is. Famine, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. You say, well, are we in the tribulation period? No, we're not. But if we're seeing these signs around us and they're intensifying in our time here and the rapture hasn't happened yet, just think what it's going to be like at the beginning of the tribulation period. 
Jesus says all of these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up. He's speaking to his disciples. They're going to deliver you up to tribulation and they're going to kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures till the end will be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. So Jesus just told us right there what the beginning of the tribulation period is. What's the next part of this? Verse 15 to 20. Look at your Bibles. You could mark this. Now we're in the middle of the tribulation period. Look what he says. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, he's giving them something very specific. He's given them something that is on our timeline of the seven-year tribulation period that we're now in the middle of the tribulation period. When you see the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place, that's the temple. Whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. Let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant in those days, who are nursing babies in those days, and pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. The Antichrist and his armies are going to once again go after the nation of Israel. They're going to flee from Jerusalem. They're going to go out to Petra. They're going to go to a place where God is going to protect them. That's going to happen in the middle of the tribulation period. Now the second half of the tribulation period, verses 21 to 28. This is the second half. This is where we're going to be this morning in Revelation chapter 16. For then there will be great tribulation. That's worthy of underlining such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, and listen what it says, no, nor ever shall be. It's going to be a, a, a day like this world has never seen before. And unless those days were short, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be short. And I believe, believe the elect here is not the church, but it's the Jews. It's Jews. It's Christ, it's, it's the remnant of people that God is going to save. His people during the tribulation period. For the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders, deceive, if possible, even the elect. We know that the Antichrist and the false prophet are going to be in full swing by the middle of the tribulation period. He's going to uh, set up his image in the temple, command that the Jews worship him as God. They're going to flee to the area of Petra or Basra, to that area where God is going to protect them. But it's going to be during this time that there, the deception is going to be there even for the Jews then. The Antichrist who is possessed by Satan himself will be doing that. Verse 25, 
See, I have told you beforehand, he tells his disciples. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For, the, for as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. That is the second half of the tribulation period, the end of the tribulation period. Jesus answering that question, what will be the end in your, in your coming? What will be the sign of your coming? Look at verse 29 to 31. This is now the end of the tribulation period, right at the end of the seven-year period and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Look what it says. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory and he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other you just got seven years of tribulation spelled out to you in Matthew chapter 24 in four sections that we can do so in the book of Revelation, this is a reminder for those of you that have been sitting through the teaching so far. In the book of Revelation, in the seven-year tribulation period, there is going to be three sets of judgments that are going to come down upon this earth. They're going to come upon this earth because man has rejected. The nation of Israel has rejected Jesus as their Messiah. The Gentiles of this earth have rejected him as Messiah. And so God is going to deal specifically with the nation of Israel. He's also going to deal with the rejection of those Gentile and Gentile nations that have um, rejected him and also persecuted Israel during the tribulation period. But three sets of judgments. Do you remember what the first set is? It's the seal judgments. Seven seals are opened up in Revelation, starting in Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. Remember the white horse? The white horse is the rider of deception that is going to come on. Remember what Jesus said? Deception is the first thing that he warned his disciples when they asked that question. And here we have the seal being broken, the rider coming out on the white horse, deception as he comes into this world, which I believe is that picture of the Antichrist being revealed to this world at the beginning of the tribulation period. But he's going to be coming with all deception. What follows that is the fiery red horse, which speaks of war and conflict that is going to come upon this earth. The black horse follows that, and which is, speaks of scarcity of food. And then you have the pale horse that follows after that, 
which is speaking of death and Hades that are going to follow, the death that's going to come through war, through famine, and it's going to end in multitudes of people that are going to perish during that time. The fifth seal that John sees is those that have been martyred for their faith. There's going to be many that are going to be saved during the tribulation period, but they're going to have to give their life up. They're going to be martyred for their faith. Then we have the sixth seal. John sees a great earthquake upon the earth, and the sun becomes black as sackcloth, and the moon becomes red like blood. And then the seventh seal is opened, and there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. And the seven angels who had seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound their trumpets. That leads into the next set of judgments that are going to come. Some people believe that, that uh, those trumpet judgments are going to be in the second half, as well as the bowl judgments that we're going to look at even this morning. But just as a reminder on these trumpet judgments, that uh, the first of those uh, trumpet judgments is that hail and fire come down and one-third, I want you to get your head around this, one-third of the earth's vegetation is burned up. I believe in a supernatural God. I believe in miracles that God is able to do. I believe that God created the heavens and the earth. I believe that God is able to do these things that we read about in the book of Revelation, exactly how we're reading them. I don't sit back and wonder, oh, that can't be done. This is what's going to happen. This is what God says is going to happen. One third of the earth's vegetation will be burned up. The second trumpet is blown. A fireball from heaven hits the sea. And one third of the sea becomes blood and is polluted. One third. Make note of that. The third trumpet blows. A great star from heaven falls on the fresh water of the earth and one third of the waters become wormwood and many die from the water and become poisoned. The fourth trumpet is blown and the sun and the moon and the stars, we're told, are darkened. There's going to be this darkness on the earth itself. The fifth trumpet is blown. The first is the first woe, which speaks about that demonic invasion that we read about uh, and the bottomless pit being uh, opened up. And the, uh, these demonic uh, beings coming out of the earth, tormenting men, mankind for five months. The second woe is a demonic army of 200 million uh, demonic angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And we're told that they are able to kill one third of mankind. I want you to wrap your head around the numbers, thinking about the size, the population of the world today. The church has already been removed, but those that are alive, one-third of the population of the existing world at that time will be killed by this demonic army. The seventh angel then sounds his trumpet, and that is what brings in the seven bold judgments that we're going to start and look at this morning in Revelation chapter 16. The first of these bold judgments are sores. 
that are going to be on the people that have worshipped the beast and those that have taken the mark of the beast during the tribulation period. We're in the second half, probably towards the end of the second half of the tribulation period, and the bowls are poured out. This is the third set of seven judgments, the last and final set. The second one is all the oceans and the seas are going to be turned to blood. Remember, in the trumpet judgments, it was one-third of the waters. Here, it says all of the water will turn to blood. All of the fresh water under the third bowl, all the fresh water will be turned to blood. Not one-third, but it won't be wormwood. It'll be all of the waters turned to blood. The fourth bowl is poured out, and the sun scorches mankind with intense heat. The fifth bowl is poured out, and darkness and pain cover the earth. The sixth bowl is the river Euphrates being dried up, and the kings of the earth come to gather for what we know and what's told in Scripture is the battle of Armageddon. They're going to come for that final battle at the end of the tribulation period. And then the final bowl that's poured out upon this earth is going to be a great earthquake that's going to occur upon this, earth, uh, this world that's going to be of such intensity that this itself tells us in Scripture that it's, this world has never seen an earthquake like this, nor will it ever see it again. And so it's going to be that as well as great hailstones that are going to be coming down upon this earth. Wow. I mean, when I read my Bible, and I read that, that should grab our attention. That should cause us as Christians to really just be in awe of who our God is. But it should also remind us that we have a work to do. There's people that don't know Christ. We have loved ones. We have family that don't know the Lord. Lord, would you stir my heart? Would you stir me to know that, you know what? Hey, time is short. Are you living with that mindset that time is short? Are you living in expectancy that the Lord could come back at any moment? Is that how your mind thinks every day? Or are you just kind of oblivious to that and just going about your day? Watching the world, you know, but we should be aware. When this seventh angel pours out his bowl in chapter 16 verse 17 John hears this loud voice that comes out of the temple now this is not the tribulation temple that's going to be on uh, the, the, uh, in Jerusalem on the mount this is going to be the temple that's in heaven okay there's two temples that we read in the book of Revelation the tribulation temple that will be rebuilt and then the temple that will be in heaven. So this seventh angel pours out his bowl upon this earth, and he hears a loud voice coming out of the temple, and this is what he hears. It is done. It's done. It's going to be the last of God's judgment upon this earth. I wrote this. Like the plagues of Egypt, 
which God used to accomplish his plans and purposes for Israel, so these final plagues will bring an end to all the prophetic warnings that were spoken by the prophets concerning these days. This is going to be the final climax of God's wrath against a world that has become so vile that God has no other recourse than to bring his wrath upon it. Those are my words. Here are some words by Donald Gray Barnhouse. He says in reference to what we're in in chapter 16, he says the mills of God grind slowly, but they grind exceeding fine. And the last of the grist is now to go through. The machinery of judgment has been set in motion. And the creator himself has said that it shall not be arrested until the last plagues of his wrath are finished. It is done. God's going to bring it to a climax in the end. God's going to deal with all of the injustice, all the, the rebellion, all of the idolatry, all of the, the things of man. God is going to deal with that. In the end, and why will he do that? He must. God has to judge sin. And I think we all want him to. It's just hard to take in when you hear these things. But God must judge sin. The prophet Isaiah, he spoke of this coming day in Isaiah chapter 13, verse 6. Listen to how the prophet put it. Wail. What's it mean to wail? Cry out, wail, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will be limp. Every man's heart will melt, and they will be afraid. Pains and sorrow will take hold of them. They will be in pain as a woman in childbirth. They will be amazed at one another. Their faces will be like flames. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with both wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he will destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkened in its going forth, and the moon will not cause its light to shine. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will halt the arrogance of the proud and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. Man, you don't get any harsher words than that. You don't get any, you know, I mean, that should cause us all to be in awe of the God that we serve. We're going to look at the first three bowls and we're uh, to this morning and next week we'll look at the, the last four bowl judgments. Look at your Bibles at chapter 16, verse 1. Then I, John, heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, 
Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. Keep in mind, we're in that last part of the second half of the tribulation period. And God gives to these seven angels all at once the seven bowls of wrath. Which, and some of your Bibles might read a vial. But just consider what a bowl looks like. Consider what a vial looks like. And here they are being given all at once these seven bowls which are going to be poured out in quick succession upon this earth. Now, as I look at these things and read and and study and look at these things, there are some people that have tried to put a time frame to these bowl judgments. They've tried to to actually bring it down into a period of just 30 days that these seven bowl judgments are going to be poured out within a 30-day period. I don't know how they come up with that, but I do believe that it's going to be something probably quick towards the end of the tribulation period, but I don't know that I could say that it's going to be in 30 days that they're all going to be poured out. John hears, though, this loud voice coming from the temple, from inside the temple. And that voice, I believe, that he is hearing in the moment is God himself. God, these are God's words. We know from Revelation chapter 15, we were in that three weeks ago, the prelude to the bold judgments, chapter 15. We read, we're told, that the temple, the heavenly temple, was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his and from his power and no one except God was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed i believe that who is giving these orders to the seven angels to pour out their bowls upon this earth is God himself the command is this Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. This picture is really descriptive when you think about it. Just like a bowl as you were to tip it. Just as a vial as you were to to lean it over. And its contents begin to pour out of it is the picture that we have here as each one of these bowl judgments is being poured out upon the earth. It's an outpouring, we might say, of the wrath of God upon this earth. Listen to what Psalm 79, verse 1 to 7 says in relationship to this. O God, the nations have come into your inheritance Now, whenever you see the nations in Scripture, it's always in reference to Gentile nations. Anything other outside of Israel are the nations. There's Israel, and then there's the nations. And the nations are all the Gentile nations. Oh God, the nations have come into your inheritance. Your holy temple, they have defiled. They, these nations, have laid Jerusalem in heaps. The dead bodies of your servants they have given as food for the birds of the heaven. And he's speaking about his people Israel. 
the flesh of your saints to the beasts of the earth. Their blood they have shed like water all around Jerusalem. And there, will, there was no one to bury them. Remember I'm talking about anti-Semitism and all of the world having an evil eye against Israel? Israel is ground zero for the book of Revelation. Israel, Jerusalem is ground zero for the things that we're reading about. And it's going to intensify during the tribulation period. Verse 4 says, we have become a reproach to our neighbors. A scorn and a derision to those who are around us. This is Israel speaking about all the nations around them. How long, Lord, asking a question, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your wrath on the nations that do not know you and on the kingdoms that do not call on your name. For they have devoured Jacob. Now Jacob is a name that is given to Israel, often called Jacob. They have devoured Jacob and laid waste his dwelling places. You can read if you want to read more further into what is going to happen with the nations of this earth during the tribulation time, or really it's going to be at the end of, after the tribulation time, where there's going to be a judgment of nations. And you know what's going to be the criteria when God judges the nations? What they did with God's people, Israel. That's what God is going to judge them by. Look at verse 2 in your Bible. The first angel pours out his bowl on the earth. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl upon the earth and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. So who's receiving the mark? Those who take the mark. Those that, who's receiving the sore, the loathsome sore, are those who take the mark of the beast. But it's not just those who take the mark, but in taking the mark, it's those who make their allegiance to the beast. And by making your allegiance, or those that would make their allegiance to the beast, they're really making their allegiance to Satan. Those who worship his image. Remember, when's the image going to be set up? In the tribulation temple in Jerusalem. At the middle of the tribulation period when he's demanding that people worship him as God, the Antichrist. There are some translations read for this foul and loathsome sore. Some of your translations might read festering sores, malignant sores, painful sores. And I, I believe that what this is going to be is some kind of a, a, a plague that is going to come upon those that have taken the mark. And it's going to be one of those things that doesn't heal. Remember that each one of these bowl judgments is going to come into place and it's going to continue on. It's not going to be like one bowl and then that all gets cleaned up and then the next one. These things, and so it's going to intensify as the day approaches of the Lord's return. Festering sores, malignant sores. Remember 
the warning that the angel gave in Revelation chapter 14, verse 11. He gave it to those who would take the mark of the beast. And it says, and the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night for those who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. You see, you and I as Christians don't need to be concerned that every time we tap our card on the on the thing that you know maybe we're taking the mark of the beast and we're doing you know, I mean because this is something of a greater significance. We're not talking about just the technological side of it. Though we don't know exactly what that will look like during the tribulation period. Yet we do know that people can't buy nor sell unless they have the mark. So it is some way connected probably monetarily to something like that. But it's really the allegiance people are making. It's people saying, I don't want to worship God. I want to worship this, the beast, the antichrist. He's the one we've been waiting for. He's the one that's going to meet our need. He's the one, if we make allegiance to him, we can buy and sell and we can have what we need to survive. That will be the mindset of many during the tribulation period. But once they take that mark, there is no returning back. There's no removing it from you. Nothing's new. None of this is new. If you read your Bible from the beginning, you would know in the book of Exodus in chapter 9, verse 8, that God did something similar to the Egyptians, didn't he? We read in verse 8 of chapter 9, So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourself handfuls of ashes, from the furnace and let Moses scatter it towards the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh and it will become fine dust in all the land of Egypt and it will cause boils that break out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. When I read that, I believe they were literal sores that broke out upon man in the land of Egypt. This is nothing new. This is God's plague that is going to come down during the tribulation period against this world. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 27, this is another time that God used boils. God promised to strike Israel, his people whom he loves, if they continued in disobedience towards him. The Lord will strike you with boils of Egypt. Notice he says boils of Egypt with tumors and with the scab and with the itch and from which you cannot be healed. And then it says in verse 35, the Lord will strike you in the knees and on the legs with severe boils which cannot be healed and from the sole of your foot to the top of your head. God knows how to get people's attention. If you notice that, God knows how to get down and humble a person and bring them to that place where they will call out to him. And that should be often our prayer. God, would you humble this person? God, would you bring them to that place where they'll cry out to you in repentance? 
Why does he do these things? He loves his people. He loves his creation. He's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. The second angel pours out his bowl in verse 3. Then, that word then means the next angel. The second angel pours out his bowl on the sea and it becomes blood as of a dead man. And every living creature in the sea died. Not just a third under the trumpet judgments. That we might call is the prelude to this. Now we see that this judgment strikes the waters of the sea and all the sea turns to blood and all the creatures, the fish, everything living in the sea dies. Can you imagine what this world is going to look like at that time? When all the life in the sea is dead and floating up on the shoreline around the world, the stench, what that will look like and what that will smell like in that day. A major part of the food chain is also going to be wiped out in that moment. Then the third angel pours out his bowl in verse 4. He pours out his bowl on the rivers and the springs of water, we're told. This is now the fresh water. And they also become blood. You see, this judgment, again, could take us back to Exodus chapter 7, verse 20, when Moses and Aaron... They did that. They did so just as the Lord had commanded them. They lifted up the rod. They struck the waters that were in the river. And they did it in the sight of Pharaoh. And they did it in the sight of his servants. For all of them to see. And all the waters that were in the river turned to blood. God says, I'm going to show you who I am. Let my people go. I'm going to show you who I am. I'm going to use my servants here. They're going to strike the waters. They're going to turn to blood. He did that in the sight of them all. He allowed Moses to do that in the sight of them. That you will know that I am the Lord. God knows how to get man's attention. It doesn't mean that they will always turn in repentance. But he knows how to get their attention. Remember back in Revelation chapter 8 when the third angel sounded the trumpet that that one-third of the rivers and one-third of the springs, they, they turned to wormwood. Now it's all blood. It's not just poisoned water and people dying from the poisoned water. But it's the waters have now turned to blood. And now... After the third bowl is poured out, there seems to be, we might say, the angels giving a defense for God's judgments. But I, I think in reality what we're seeing here is that these, this angel is really praising God once again for his righteous judgments. 
and all the tribulation saints that are, have been martyred. They're in heaven. They're martyred saints. They're also responding in the moment to the true and the righteous judgments of God. Look what it says in verses 5 to 7. And I heard the angel of the waters saying. He's got an angel of the waters. Those that poured out these, this bowl upon the waters of the earth. I heard the angel of the waters saying, You are righteous, O Lord. The one who is and who was and who is to be. Because you have judged these things. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets. And you have given them what? Blood to drink. For it is, for it is their just due, the angel says. And I heard another from the altar. And this is possibly the tribulation, one of the tribulation saints. I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. There's going to come a point for all of us as Christians. It's hard for us to wrap our head around all of this. It really is to grasp the magnitude of it all. But when it is happening and we're in heaven with the Lord, we're going to be able to rejoice in the righteous judgments of God upon this earth. Because they've spilled and shed the blood of your saints, of your prophets, they will drink the blood of your wrath. That's what the, this angel is rejoicing in. It's what this martyred saint, or martyred saints, plural, are rejoicing in. Verse 5, he says, You are righteous, O Lord. Verse 6, For it is their due, or their just due. Verse 7, True and righteous, are your judgments. You see, from the very beginning of the world, man and all of God's creation, really, they've questioned the judgments of God. Have you ever done that? Have you ever questioned the judgments of God upon this earth? Have you ever questioned the harshness of God's judgments. And, and thought in your mind, that just seems, it just seems contrary to the loving God that I know Him to be. It seems like it's opposite of what I know Him to be. But we need to have that balance. We need to understand that He's a God of love, that He's a God that is patient, that He's a God that is not willing that any would perish, but He is also a just God. A righteous God. God must judge sin. And the thing that clears that up for you and I is to know your Bible. 
If you don't know your Bible, you don't understand the very nature and the moral character of who God is, you're going to struggle with understanding God's righteous judgments. The God that I see in the Bible is a God that is self-existent. He's not dependent upon any one of us to exist. Did you know that? Anyone or anything to exist. Unlike us, when we need something to survive, food, water, air, he doesn't need any of those things. God is immutable. and In other words, he never changes. Aren't you glad of that? God never changes. He doesn't stop mid-song just like we do. We're so fickle at times. We change our mind. We do it there. God never changes. What he says he's going to do God is omnipresent. He's everywhere present. He can be in your heart. He can be in this church building. He can be in the spanses of the heavens. God is omnipresent. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. You don't teach God anything. He knows it all. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. There's nothing too hard for God. And he's also sovereign over every person's life. He's sovereign over your life. He's sovereign over the nations of the world. He's in control of all these rogue nations and all these things that you see going on. God's in control of all of that. He's in control of the kings of the earth. He steers them where he wants them to go. There's nothing that God is not aware of that he is not. And so when I think of God's justice, when I think of his righteous judgments, I'm okay. He created it all. It's all his. But he also has his moral attributes. Our God is holy. He's perfect. He's pure. He's without sin. He's without fault. He's untainted by any evil. He's without sin. Completely pure. And so out of that, out of that holiness, comes God's righteousness. He's righteous. He'll never make a mistake. He'll never judge somebody, condemn somebody unfairly. It'll never happen. It would be inconsistent with the very moral character of who God is. To judge a person unrighteously, unfairly. He's a perfect judge in all things. You see how our judges struggle trying to make decisions? God doesn't struggle with any of it. And out of that holiness comes his righteousness. And out of that righteousness comes God's love. God is love. God is merciful towards you and I. God is kind towards you and I and mankind. He's full of goodness. It's the goodness of God that leads a person to repentance. And lastly, God is truth. The opposite of truth is error. He never says something that's not true. 
We don't read anything in the Word of God. Jesus said, my word is truth. Everything you read, you can rely upon it. You can bank on it. That it's going to happen. That it's truth. In closing, I want to share that as Christians, in light of everything that we're reading as we go through the book of Revelation, we have responsibility. We're children of God. He saved us from our sin. And we have responsibilities as Christians. We're to occupy until he comes. We're not to get up so much out of sorts that we're not doing what God has called us to do. To live for him, to be a witness, to glorify him in this life. To be a witness and lead others towards him. One day, we're all going to stand before this righteous judge. He's going to say to those that have given their life to him, He's going to call you into his presence, not because you have your own righteousness, but because he's given his righteousness to you. And you're going to just stand there all humbled. I'm going to stand there all humbled before the Lord. It's nothing that I did. It's all what you did for me. You forgave me. Revelation 15.3 says, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? Ask him a question. For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been manifested. One day, one day all of us as believers, and I believe it's we're going to be in the presence of God, we're going to be rejoicing as we see God administering his judgment upon this world. Second Peter chapter 2. I want to close with this exhortation to all of us. Peter wrote, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. And delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day 
by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. We live in a world, church, you're living in an ugly, lawless world that has every temptation that wants to draw you away from your walk with Jesus Christ, draw you into their sin, draw you into their way of thinking, all of their ideology, everything is just upon you continually as a believer. Our souls, in a sense, being vexed the same way, tormented as we see this world in the state that it's in. But then it says in verse 9, then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly. He delivered Lot. He knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. God knows how to deliver you. Jude 24, now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the Father with exceeding joy. Jude 24, he's able to keep you. He will keep you, the keeping power of God in your life. We're privileged. If you know Jesus Christ here this morning, you are privileged to know him. If you don't know him this morning, then as we play this last song, I'm going to ask that you'll raise your hand and I'm going to pray for you. You don't have to walk forward here. I just want you to raise your hand. Everybody can close your eyes and pray. We'll play this last song. I want to give an invitation. I can't give a message like this. And I don't know every single one of you that's here, but if there's someone here that does not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've never invited him to come into your heart and save you from your sin, you need to do that today. I compel you to make that decision today. It'll be the best decision that you've ever made. It'll keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon this earth. And so let's all stand and let's, uh, let's put on that last worship song. If you're here and you need salvation or if you're here and you just need repentance, raise your hand and I'm going to lift up a prayer for anyone that does. And we're going to have people afterwards down here that can pray of anything specific that you need. And so let's worship the Lord. And just raise your hand as the worship song. Everybody close their eyes. Just worship the Lord. Don't be concerned. But if you're feeling that tug from the Lord, then I encourage you to raise your hand so that we can pray and get things right in your heart this morning. Let's worship.